we've been talking about uh, the, the word um, as we go through the intro in uh, in John, and um, the word is 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 God's final, His ultimate self disclosure to man. And I thought, what what is our equivalent to that? What's our like cheapened, dumbed down version of that? How do we do that? And of course, it's it's our profile pic, right on uh, on social media. So I thought it'd be fun to look on social media and find a, some of your profile pics, right, and display those. But I didn't think of that till seven this morning, so I didn't do it. And I thought I should probably be praying rather than looking at your your profile pics. Um, so this is your chance. This is like your warning because maybe I'll do this in the future. So go fix your profile pics because uh, some are just not good. So. And by that, I mean you spent way too much time caring. That's what I mean. They're not good. Um, so as we're going through the book of John, each week uh, we're trying to give uh, to you uh, the main idea. We're trying to put it in, in about a sentence. Um, so Gary and I have been, been working on that. And, and if, you're, if you're new, this is your first week here. Our projector went out, so we've got this not-as-good projector right now. We just ordered new projectors, so sorry this side of the room that you have that going on. But here, here's our main idea for the week that, uh, that Gary and I uh, came up with uh, for John 14, uh, 1, 14 through 18. It's uh, Jesus is the Word who became flesh to reveal His glory full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word who became flesh to reveal his glory full of grace and truth. And uh, if we look at history, the, the most important uh, time in history, the most important event is Jesus' death and his, his resurrection. I'd argue that this is the second most important thing, that, that Jesus came in the flesh. So someone asked me, like, how are you doing today? I'm like, well, kind of a really big thing we're talking about. I'm honestly a little bit nervous. I don't want to blow it. So let's pray together. Um, all joking aside, I just want, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to remind us of, of how incredible this is that, that, that Christ came, that Christ became man, fully God, fully man, to dwell among us. So let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather, that we can hear from your word and the Holy Spirit. We know that we need you to open our eyes to your truth. We know that, that we're, we're blind without, opening, without you opening our eyes and, and revealing truth to us. So we, we pray that you would do that today. We ask that you would do that today. No matter where our hearts, our minds are coming into today, Lord, would our attention be on you? Would you, would you have our attention, Lord, our hearts? Would they be on you, Lord? And would you speak to us, Lord? And, and, and would you do it in such a way that, that we would be changed, Lord, that we would, uh, we would long for others to know about you, God, that we would recognize what we have in you, Jesus, and, and, and that we would, we would ask that you would use us, Lord, to help this perishing world know the truth about you. Holy Spirit, we, only you can do that. We need you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So John one fourteen. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So like I said, the word is God's final climactic self-revelation. The, the word is, is nothing less than God himself. And as, as we've been through this passage, um, God's described as, as eternal, the, the creator. It says that, that, that life is from him, that, that he's the light that those who believe in his name, those who receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. So now the word 
It says it, become, it became flesh. And, and, and John could have used other words here. He, he could have said the word became man. He could have said the word became human. He, he could have said um, the word took on a, a body, but he, he chose the word flesh, and it's, it's the word sarx in, in Greek. Um, so why, why did he choose that word? Well, he, he's being really, really blunt here. I think he wants to be really clear uh, about what happened uh, in, in the incarnation, Jesus um, coming in the flesh. Um, it, it seems likely that he's trying to clear up that, that Jesus didn't just look like he was a human, like he didn't just have this, this appearance uh, of being human, but, but he actually had, he had flesh, like you and, and me. And there were certainly some that believe that, that there's no way God would come down and, and become a man. Like God would not do that. He, he's, he's too good. He's too holy. There's no way he would defile himself by becoming human or even being in contact with humanity. And we just, we just came out of Exodus, and, and we can even imagine biblically how someone um, could think that. Um, God wanted to dwell among his people if he weren't with us. He, want, he, he saved them from slavery, uh, from the Egyptians. He, he wanted to dwell among his people. There's people they're sinful. He's a holy God. So he, he instructs them, build this tabernacle, which is a portable temple, this tent that moved along with them. And, and God was going to be in this tabernacle. And, and, and God's, God's holy. The people are sinful. There's a room called the holy place. I know I talked about this a couple weeks ago. And then the holy of holies. And that's where God's presence was. And, and one time a year, only one time a year, the high priest could come in and he had to do all these rituals to cleanse himself, make these sacrifices. And he came in and he sprinkled the blood to atone for the people. And that's how this holy God was able to dwell in the, right in the middle of a sinful people. So it's, it's not hard for us to see how someone could ask the question, well, how could God just come down? How could God just become a man and, and, and be around sinful man? And yet if Jesus only appeared human, then his suffering, his death on the cross would only be an illusion. And there's no way, there's no way that pays for sin. There's no way in the world that could cover our sin. So Jesus being in the flesh was absolutely necessary. It wasn't like Jesus just put on a body for a bit. Like those, have you seen those pregnancy like suit things, right? They're pretty weird. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, it's like a suit that mimics what it's like for a woman to be pregnant. They're it, it has all the weight and, and it's supposed to put the pressure in the right spot so someone could slip into that and go, oh, this is kind of what it's like being pregnant. I, I had a friend, a, a guy, he asked me once, he's like, do you ever just wish you could be pregnant? I looked at him like, no, dude. <laughs> Not once in my life have I wished that. I'm grateful that, um, that women are able to do that and a lot of women love it. And a lot of women, it's really, really hard, even for those who love it. Um, but I've never wished that. My friend, I don't know how we're friends, actually. <laughs> just thinks really differently from me. Um, but, but Jesus didn't just come on or come and put on this, this body suit. Like, Jesus actually became flesh. Scripture teaches he's fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. And, and, and does the math work? No, in our little brains, we, we don't. We don't get it, but, but Scripture is clear. Jesus is divine, and he, he added humanity to his divinity. Uh, he, had, he had both. So there's, there's so much to talk about with the incarnation, but I just want to point out a few implications. Um, Jesus coming in the flesh doesn't save us, 
but, but Jesus coming in the flesh makes salvation possible. Um, the incarnation uh, addresses our, our need for salvation. There's a, a man uh, back in the 11th century, I think you pronounced his name, Anselm, um, and he recognized that, that our sin and our fallenness, um, that implies that we, we cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. But, but the problem is that, that we're the ones that have sinned, so, so the repairing of our relationship that should really come from our side, from the side of humanity. So, so we have, on the one hand, that only God can save us. On the other hand, we're the ones, really, that, that should do it. And so this is what he said. He says, Since no one but God can make satisfaction for our sins, and no one but man ought to make it, it's necessary for the God-man to make it. So Jesus comes and him coming doesn't save us, but it makes, him poss- it makes it possible for him to be our redeemer, for him to be our substitute, for him to die in our place. Another, things, another thing it shows us is, is how much God values human life. By, by him coming in the flesh, it, it should speak volumes to us about what God thinks about human life. And it, it, that means so many different things for us, but... Certainly, it means that, that people that I don't like, they, they, they still matter. People that, that see things very, very differently than me, they matter. People that think differently than me, than me matter. The unborn matter. People that, that, that may offend you, people that you even find just their actions are, are evil and vile, like they, they, they matter. Um, another thing is, is, is that Jesus... It's incredible as he becomes flesh, he, he identifies himself with humanity in, in such an amazing way. He, he experienced what, what we experience. He, he, he gets us. He, he understands our struggles. He, he understands our, our weaknesses. Um, he, he, he relates to us, and, and what a God we serve. Um, our, our kids, at least I don't think they've done this yet. I don't think we've had a moment with our kids where one of them freaks out and says kind of the classic line, like, you just don't get what it's like to be a teenager or whatever. Like, we haven't experienced that yet. How many of you have? And maybe don't want to say, but some of you have. I got a couple there, yeah. So I expect that someday that'll happen. Like, my kid will freak out and truly believe that there's no way I could understand what it's like to be them, like, like I'm some koala bear, and I can't relate to humanity. Um, but, but Jesus, God may seem distant to us at times. Right? It, may, it may seem like there's just no way that God can understand us, but, but God is not distant. Not only is he right here, but, but he's, lived, he's lived life. Right? He's lived life as, as a human. And I hope all of this, as we, as, as we think, about Jesus coming in the flesh, as we think about the incarnation this week, I hope it stirs up in you adoration, worship, that we would just praise God throughout the week, that we'd be blown away that God would do this, that he would come, right? he'd be made like us so that, so that he could save us. All right, we just made it through the first five words of our passage. Let's keep going. Right. This is the extended service today. Just kidding. Um, okay, so it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So again, this, this language takes us back to Exodus. Um, God, God dwelt with them in the tabernacle. And, and the word that John uses here for dwell, it, it means tabernacle. Or, or to, like, to, to set up his tent, to, to, 
to pitch his tent right among his people. Um, and and we, we see throughout Scripture that God longs to be with his people. We, we see that in the Garden of Eden. We certainly see that in Exodus. We'll see that in, in Revelation. So even though it is shocking that Jesus did this in, in some ways, we should go, oh, of course he would find a way. Of course he would find a way to, to make this happen. So our high school camp, if, if you've been around for a while, it's called ETV. And what we do is we go um, to, to this little podunk town, Tai Valley, Oregon, right? It's really hot. It's in like the, uh, it's near the Deschutes River, if you know where that is. Um, and we camp out. Uh, there's, there's nothing glorious about it. We're, we're all intense. We get to like walk to the bathroom a long ways away and, and we pay for showers and it's super hot and your feet get dirty every night and yet we love it. We, we think it's great. Um, so great that like eight churches come together and we do this every year together. Um, and, and often we get a speaker to come in that um, is not from one of our groups. Um, sometimes, sometimes someone from one of our churches speaks but a lot of times it's someone from the outside that comes and speaks and, and we, we, you know, we ask them, hey would you be our speaker? This is our theme and stuff and then and eventually we have to tell them, yes, we, we camp out for a week. And, and you're going to smell like all week because there's really no point in even using deodorant because it's so stinking hot. And, and you're going to walk and your feet are just going to get dirty. And, and you sleep on the hard ground, but that's okay because now they're really thick air mattresses that you can buy. And, and most, most speakers agree. They're like, oh, I can do that for a week. I've got, yeah, I've got a tent. I'll get that out. But every once in a while, uh, we'll have a speaker that for whatever reason... They, they don't camp out with us for the week. And, and sometimes they've got great reasons. Like they, there's work they've got to do back home, so they need Wi-Fi that's at a hotel or whatever. At least that's what they tell us. Um, but it's always, it's always strange when the camp speaker like, doesn't come and, and set up their tent like right with all of ours. And that's what Jesus did. He, he came and he, he set up his tent right in the middle of humanity. Um, I'm sure that God felt distant, like I said last year, between the Old Testament and New Testament. There's 400 years of, of silence, and, and yet here is Jesus. He comes, and, and he pitches his tent right with theirs. And then it says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So like Israel saw God's glory as he dwelt in the tabernacle, John says, We've, we've seen his glory. Uh, Colossians 1.19, I brought it up last week. It says, in, in Jesus, the fullness of God was, was pleased to dwell. So John, he says, hey, I, I'm one of the eyewitnesses. Right? I got to see Jesus. I've seen his glory. I can testify personally to the glory of Jesus. It's the very glory of God in his own unique son, Jesus. There's no one like him. And God put his glory. His glory is right in, in Jesus when we saw Jesus, we saw nothing less than the very glory of God. And this father-son relationship, it'll, it'll come out throughout uh, the book of John. Um, so, so John gets to say, we have seen his glory, but, but what about us today? Because um, we, don't, we don't have the, the advantage of, of, of being there. Like, How does someone see the, the glory of Jesus? 
Well, Isaiah 53, 2 tells us that there was nothing about Jesus that was physically attractive. Um, In the second half of the verse, it says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So people weren't following Jesus because he was this really good-looking, attractive guy, right? There was nothing about his appearance that drew people to him. He, he, He may have even been, like, homely looking, Right? It wasn't like, like with Moses, we talked about this weeks ago, Moses met with God and his face was glowing because of it so much that freaking people out. He had to wear the veil. There wasn't some, some glowing going on with, with Jesus. Thousands of people saw with their eyes miracles that Jesus performed. And, 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 and some of them were excited for a while, but eventually uh, it wore off. They didn't ultimately see. And that's because seeing doesn't happen with, with, our, with our physical eyes. Ephesians 1.18 says this, and Paul's praying. He says, he, he's praying that, that, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the Bible has this category for seeing that, that isn't, it's, it's not with our eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 and verse 6, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And skipping to verse 6, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So there's this spiritual blindness apart from Christ that, that we have. And it says the God of this world is doing That's what the pardon me, the devil is, is doing, and we need Jesus to remove that blindness. We need him to open our eyes, to shine light into darkness so that we can see. This is something that only Jesus can do. John 3, 3 says this, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we talked about this last week in verses 12 and 13. Um, John said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who, are not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this rebirth uh, that Jesus does in us, that, that's what helps us see. It's, it's through faith, through belief in Jesus. So even though we weren't eyewitnesses in the ways that John was, we, we didn't get to see with our eyes, but if you've placed your faith in Jesus, You've seen his glory. You've seen the uniqueness of Jesus. You are a witness, and and you're a witness that this world desperately needs to hear about. Last week, I asked you to start praying, praying that that we'd be bold, that that we'd be witnesses to to our neighbors, our coworkers, family, anyone we come in contact with. And I encourage you this week, keep praying. Pray for opportunities. Ask God, like, man, why don't I share, Lord? Why am I so timid? You've done this in me. What, what is holding me back? Um, I, I've been praying that this week for myself and, and for all of us. And we need to keep praying because if you know Jesus, if he's removed those spiritual blinders from you, if, you, if, if he's brought, brought, uh, brought about this rebirth, this regeneration in you, you've seen his glory. He says, uh, he says that the, the glory is full of, of grace and truth. So Jesus is, is brimming full of grace and truth. And grace is a, a really common word that we use as Christians. Um, and, and we expect that, that God is, is a God of grace. And, and one reason is, is descriptions like this 
of Jesus. We, we see that God is so gracious in sending a Savior um, that, that if we place our faith in him, we we're saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 might be a very familiar passage to, uh, to some of you. It says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So we know that, that grace is, is a gift that God gives us. Right? We, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God, God, God gives us this grace. That's what saves us. Um, so it's not surprising to hear that Jesus comes and he's full of grace. But, but then he adds there, and truth on there. Um, the word truth comes up in this gospel 75 times. That might not be surprising, but the, the number of times grace comes up is four times, and it's all in the four verses that, that we're in today. And truth isn't simply the opposite of what is false, though certainly that's a part of it. But John, he, he takes the word truth, and he associates words um, like life and, and light with it. So this is grace that, that, is, that is shaped by truth. It's, it's held with truth. Um, our world, I think, wants grace that's actually really cheap. We just, we just want to be saved. We just want to be forgiven uh, of our sin. In fact, we don't even want to be told that, that we're sinners. Um, but, but Jesus Jesus knows that the cost of grace is really expensive. It cost him his life. It's what led him to the cross. The glory of God in Christ is his graceful disposition towards us without compromising truth at all. John, uh, in John fourteen six, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, that is a truth that the world desperately needs to hear. Do, they don't want to hear it, right? We, we don't want to be told that there's only one way to do anything let alone to be made right with God. But, but it's a truth that the world desperately needs to hear, and, and, and there is, there's no grace if that truth is not shared. Verse 15, and this is a parenthesis here, and John, and this is John the Baptist, who, who we, we heard about next, or last week, and we'll, we'll talk about next week. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks uh, before me because he was before me. And in this verse, verse 15, is, is really paralleled in verse 30, which we'll get into next week. We'll talk way more about John the Baptist next week. But John the Baptist, there's a ton of excitement about John the Baptist. There, there's this hunger, this longing for people to be made right with God, for, for the Savior, for the Messiah to come. John's baptizing, and as we'll hear next week, people are coming from all over the place to be baptized by John. So John is wildly popular at, at this point. And, and yet John, uh, for all the attention that he received, he is so humble, and he, he continues to take the spotlight off of him and to, to place it on Jesus. So really simply, John's saying, even though my ministry started before Jesus' ministry, he ranks before me. He is superior to me. He, he is the one who has always existed. Um, John is, he's just great at making sure people see Jesus, at continually pointing people to Jesus. And, and this is our job, 
as Christ's followers, if you know Jesus, this is what we're always trying to figure out how to do. How do I help this person see Jesus? How do I help them understand who Jesus is? Verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Uh, Grace and truth came through Jesus. So we have this word full or fullness again. He said Jesus is full of of grace and truth. And here John says that from that fullness, we've received grace upon grace. And and as you read this, you could just, you might just picture like this, this pile of grace. And and God's like, oh, that's not enough. I'm going to add more scoops of grace. Like, I'm just going to stack up grace upon grace upon grace. Your Bible um, might have a footnote in it that, that, that says um, it, it could be better. It could also be translated grace in place of grace. Or what, what might be more helpful is grace instead of grace. And I think verse 17 r- really helps us understand that, where it says, uh, verse 17 starts off with four, right? So we go back to verse 16. His fullness we've all received, grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so the first gracious gift that this is talking about is the law. And for a lot of us, you might hear the law and think, how is the law grace? The law seems to be anti-grace, right? If, if the law is broken, then, then, then there needs to be punishment. How in the world is that grace? And, and yet it's, it's the law that helps us understand our sin. It's the law that helps us understand that, that we are dead apart from Christ. Paul says the law shows us sin, right? The law was telling us how, how, how wrecked we are how badly we're in need of a Savior. The Bible read through people. We just finished Leviticus, and, and we read about sacrifice after sacrifice, all this blood being shed for Israel's sin, and, and, and we put ourselves in that situation, and, and it would, man, it would, it would show us we cannot fix our problem. We need a Savior. We need someone to pull us out of this pit. So Jesus then comes, and he fulfills the law, Jesus comes and he brings grace and truth beyond what Moses had. He'd be the once and for all sacrifice that would die in our place. He died the death that we deserve to die because he lived. He lived the life that we could not live. John Piper, retired pastor and author, he said this about this phrase, grace upon grace. He said, first one grace, Moses giving the law. Then another grace, Christ bringing the fullness of grace and truth. The contrast is that Moses points to grace, but Jesus performs grace. Moses reports the words of God. Jesus is the word of God. The law mirrors the light. Jesus is the light of God. Israel had been waiting for, for the grace desperately needed, and Jesus came, God in the flesh, to give all who would receive grace and truth from him. Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So, so John, he keeps going back to this Moses comparison. Moses, we know, he, he said, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. But God said, you can't handle my glory full on. Right? So, so he says, I'm going to hide you in, in, in the cleft of this rock, and, and I'm going to cover you up, and I'll pass by. And, and then when, when I've gone by, I'm going to let you catch just, just the tail end, the, just the backside of my glory. 
But here's Jesus, who is God, who's so close to God. It says he's at the Father's side. A better translation would be in the Father's chest. Like he's, he's right there. You cannot get closer. Jesus embodies all of God's glory because he is God. This Jesus has made him known. In John 14, 9, Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this phrase, made him known, is, is interesting. Just geek out with me for a second on uh, Bible stuff. So, made him known is the verb from which we get the theological word exegesis, which if you've been in church for a while, maybe you've heard that word. And it might sound like I'm saying E-X-E Jesus, like J-E-S-U-S. That's not what it is. I thought that for years in Bible college. Really embarrassing when I found out that it was actually E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. Here's what that means. Um, so, exegesis is the, uh, it's the exp- exposition and explanation of a text based on a careful, objective analysis. So, so the word exegesis means to lead out of. So when, when someone comes to a text, the interpreter is led to the conclusions by following the text. Opposite of that is eisegesis. Okay? Um, that's, that's when a person comes to a text in a, subje- uh, in a uh, subjective way, non-analytical reading, and, and the word eisegesis means to lead into, right? So the picture there is that, that the person's coming to the text and they're injecting their own things into the text, right? They're, they're placing meaning into the text to get what they want, right? So which, when we're reading our Bibles, do we want? We want exegesis, right? We want the text to tell us what it says. So back with me here. So when, when, when John uses that word, he's, he's saying that Jesus is the exegesis of God, right? He is the explanation of his hidden reality because he exists as, as the only born. He, he exists in the, in the chest of the Father. Jesus has the unique ability. He has the authority to reveal the Father to us. So this amazing claim that John makes in verse 18, it's going to unfold now right, in, in, in the following chapters of John, as Jesus makes the Father known. Jesus is the very exposition of God, or the explanation of God. Jesus has made God known to us. If Jesus didn't come, if he didn't come in the flesh, we would not, we wouldn't be able to know God, not in a meaningful, personal way. We couldn't be forgiven of our sins. We couldn't be reconciled to the Creator. John twelve forty four. And 45 says this, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I'm praying that we'll be people that see, see Jesus, that we see the Father in Jesus, that we'll be a people that are eager to show Jesus to others. And we're, we're going to remember Jesus and his coming in the flesh his death, his resurrection by taking communion together. And we try and change up how we take communion. And, and um, we kind of want to keep you on your toes because we don't want communion to become this stale, rote thing that we do. We, we want to remember why we're doing this. So uh, today we're going to start off with a minute, maybe two minutes of silence. For some of you, silence is hard and painful. Uh, for others, it's hard and painful when we're playing some song and we ask you to pray silently. So we're all going to be silent, and I, I just encourage you to pray silently. Prepare your hearts to take communion. And communion is, is, is the bread and the cup representing Christ's body and his blood that was shed for us. And, and, and this is a meal that Jesus 
he told his followers to take in, in remembrance of him until he returns that we're supposed to take this. So if, if you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you, participate. As, as the plates are passed around, um, you, you, can, you can take it and hold on to the elements, and at the end, I'll lead us in that. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you're not sure if you know Jesus yet, don't take this meal yet. I want you to someday soon, and I'd love to even talk with you after the service. If you have questions about Jesus, if you just don't see Jesus the way the Bible describes him, I'd love to talk with you. Or we'll have uh, people from the prayer team that would love to talk to you too, but the meal isn't for you yet. Another warning scripture gives us is, he says to Christians, don't take communion if there's something between you and a brother and sister Right, or brother or sister, if there's some sin issue between you, something that you need to be reconciled, don't take communion because that, that would not be proper. It would not be, be right. Um, if that's you, pass, pass today. Um, I'm going to pray, or sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to encourage us to close our eyes. We'll be silent. I'll break the silence by praying, and then we'll pass out the elements to everyone. We're going to sing a song together, hold on to the bread and the cup. I'll come back up and lead us in taking it together. But let's just be quiet before the Lord for a bit.